Amen. Great. It's fantastic uh, to be with you. Uh, that was a relief. I thought I left my sermon at home then for a second, but I put it in the back of my Bible. Great. Uh, so as, uh, as was said earlier, Pete and I have done a swap. So uh, my name is Michael. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the pastor at Helston Light and Life. And Peter and I have uh, uh, crossed over, uh, passed by each other, I guess, at some point this morning on the drive over. And uh, But just great to, uh, great to be with you uh, this morning. I want to read just some uh, some scenes, just a couple of scenes from the life of Barnabas. I uh, I love this character, and for the last couple of months, I've been thinking a lot about him, uh, and I've been reading the passages of Scripture about him, and I've been reflecting on his life. And I just want to share something of this man uh, with you this morning. So, just a few scenes of his life, uh, Acts chapter nine. We're going to talk about these scenes. I'm just going to read them now, and then we're just going to explore them together. Uh, when he, in this context, this is Saul, the persecutor of the church. He's, he's going to become Paul, but that's the he. When he came to Jerusalem, so he's, he's come to Christ. He's become a Christian at this point. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. And when the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Scene one from Barnabas's life. Here's another scene, Acts chapter 11. Now those who have been scattered by the persecution, this is verse 19, in connection with Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad And he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And then the last scene, Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Some time later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back. They've been on a mission trip. Let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them But Paul didn't think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. 
Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. We're going to take a look at Barnabas this morning, but first of all, uh, I am, a, I am a unashamedly uh, a football fan. Now, some of you may or may not be, and I get that, uh, but there have been two great games this past week. Uh, I'm also a Man United fan, uh, so, yay. Um, and, and we had a special moment, Man United fans, last weekend when they were losing 2-0 to Man City. I mean, if City had won the game, they'd have won the league. Uh, they were 2-0 down at half-time, but Man United turned it around. You know, this is, this is a moment of great joy. Uh, and they won the game 3-2. That was one fantastic game. Then there was the, the Liverpool Champions League game. Again, it was a win over City. I'm not rubbing it in for City. It just happened to be another great game. And uh, the reason why I say it is uh, the commentators mentioned a number of times the atmosphere in the stadiums during these great matches, great sporting events, thousands upon thousands of fans raising their voices in support of their team. I mean, being a football fan, it would have just been so great an atmosphere to have been in there. But I have a question. What if the games were played in silence? What if it was just silent? Let's leave that thought. This week, uh, we've been watching the news over the last couple of days. More, far more serious note. We've been hearing of the launch of missiles against Syria. And it doesn't take long either, potentially from the news or through social media, to see that voices are being raised both in support of this and against this. Strong voices. What if there were silence? What if there were no voices? In 1971, God spoke to a people, a group of people in the northwest of England. He spoke to them from the Bible and a particular book in the Bible, the book of Esther in the Old Testament. The church they were part of, they felt uh, this group of people, they had felt it, it had lost its passion for the gospel. It had lost its sense of openness to life in the spirit and its passionate commitment to God's word as the word of truth. And they believed that God spoke to them through Esther chapter 4 verse 14. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. Who knows, uh, Esther, but that you have come to royal position, that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And this group of people, believing that they had heard God speak to them, then raised their voice, they began to move, and with a passion and a steady commitment to the cause of Jesus, to the advance of the gospel and life in the Spirit, the Free Methodist Church began in the UK. What if they had stayed silent? What if every word spoken... What if every encouragement given to you? What if every word of wisdom that was ever shared with you, that it has an imp- that has had an impact on your life, what if every word had never happened? What if the person who spoke to you that had an impact on your life, what if they had remained silent? What if they'd stayed quiet? Uh, over the years, I have a number of times myself, and I am convinced lots of other people too have quoted Francis of Assisi. Uh, he was once supposedly uh, speaking to a younger monk about going into the nearby village, and he apparently 
according to history, said to this younger monk, as you go, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. The, the point, of course, he was making is that, that faith, love needs to be put into action, and, and without deeds of love, without deeds of grace, your words become pointless. Faith without deeds and words is dead. And I understand that, and I'm passionate about that. Our faith needs to live. It needs to be seen. It needs to be demonstrated. It needs to be, love needs to be put in action. But I'm saying what I'm saying this morning because I do not want us, here's my heart this morning, I do not want us to relegate speaking up. Of speaking out. Of having a voice. What if it was silent? What if there were no words? So we're going to come to Barnabas. I believe a man who engaged with the gospel in his culture 2,000 years ago. A man who was a man of deeds. There's no doubt about that. His love was seen in action. But he was also a man who spoke up. He's a man who spoke hope. He was a man who spoke life-changing truth in different contexts of his life. And I'm wanting us to see what God would say to us. I believe he's saying it's time to speak up. I'm not, let me just say it one more time. I'm not saying no to deeds and no to love in action and all those things. I'm not. But this very specific focus, I believe the Spirit is saying, it's time to speak up. Words of hope. Words of life. Words of love. Words of grace. It's time to speak. So as we come to these three scenes from Barnabas' life, what would God say to us this, uh, this morning? Well, in the first scene, Acts chapter 9, here's the truth. It's time, here's my principle. It's time to invite people in from the cold. It's time to invite them in from the cold. What is happening in Acts chapter 9? So Saul is a great persecutor of the church. He was there giving approval to the death of the first Christian martyr. Saul was there. And as a result of what happens with Stephen, persecution starts to break out in Jerusalem. I mean, real threat to life, and people have to flee. They, in leaving Jerusalem, travel to different places. Some of them eventually end up in the city of Antioch, and we're going to come to that in just a moment. But Saul himself, this great persecutor of the church, God has been at work in his life. Over a period of time, even probably on the day of Stephen's death, God has been prodding him with grace until he has this encounter on the road to Damascus. He comes to faith. He loses his sight in that experience. Ananias prays. He gets his sight back. And, and, uh, but now the church is afraid. They're not going to invite this guy in. They're, they're afraid. But it's Barnabas who goes and says, Saul. And, and it's Barnabas who comes and takes him to the church. He brings him in from the cold. He invites him in. I mean, kind of, we know something's happened. And we want the church to catch up in this story. Come on, guys. The Lord's done something great. But we also understand the fear. But it was Barnabas, this good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, who goes and does some time with Saul and listens to his story and realizes God's at work and invites him in 
from the cold. I mean, God's already been at work. He's already been prodding. God's by his spirit's already been at work in the city uh, and in different kinds of ways. He's already been at work in Saul's life and Barnabas is just joining in with what God has already been doing. This morning, in its broadest context, to invite somebody in from the cold is to see somebody, if we take Saul as an example, somebody who is far away from God in a place of unbelief, Ultimately, through God's dealings, God's prods of grace, he, he is ultimately invited in from that cold through Barnabas and that fear. He's ultimately invited in to the church. And I simply want to remind us this morning that across Lion Life, in all the different venues throughout Cornwall, we meet each Sunday. We, we meet to worship God, uh, our Father, our Son, the Holy Spirit. Uh, we come to worship Him, but we are reminded as well that God's at work. Some of you have a story to say, even in recent weeks, of how this God has been at work in your life, bringing you in, inviting you in to belong, bringing you in from the cold of unbelief, of not knowing his love, to actually experiencing the wonder of the gospel that there's a Father in heaven who loves you. There is a Savior who died for you, and there's a Spirit who longs to fill your life and to give you a whole new purpose. And some of you have known in recent weeks, some of us, you may have to go back a few years, but the journey is this, is that there is a God who's at work bringing people in from the cold, and he's doing that all across Cornwall. And he is saying to us this morning, don't let fear silence you. It's time to invite people in from the cold. A couple of things that I've been thinking about. You're getting something right off my thinking this week. I've been asking myself, and I hope, just stay with me for a second. I've been asking myself a bit of a strategic question. I've been asking, how does the gospel, this incredible good news of Jesus, interact? And how do, how do we bring that in a relevant way that connects with our culture today? You see, a couple of hundred years ago, John Wesley and George Whitfield were asking that question. They had come to faith, they were passionate about Jesus and the gospel, and they were saying, how do we take this message of Jesus in a way that's going to impact the culture in our day? And, and they rediscovered, because Jesus was a field preacher, but they rediscovered what was called field preaching. They began to preach to miners as they came out of mines, 10,000 people at times. They began to do this open-air preaching, and 200 50 or so years ago, uh, God did an amazing thing as the gospel in the power of the Spirit impacted their culture. So I've been asking myself the question, well, nothing's changed. I don't know about field preaching and and whether that would be well-received or not in our culture, but it's not about the model. Here's what I've been thinking. How does the gospel, this wonderful news of who God is and what he's done for us in his son, how is that going to interface significantly with our culture today what's our equivalent of a move of God's spirit like field preaching was then what is it that God could breathe in by his spirit in order to bring people in from the cold and here's what I'm thinking and I'm on a bit of a journey with this and I'm not settled but I'm sharing where I I think I'm at 250 years ago one man preached to thousands And the gospel bore a lot of fruit. I'm wondering today whether God's method today of bringing people in from the cold is that when God speaks to the many and says, I want you to go into the street, into your workplace, into your family, into your neighbors, I want the 
in the past, one man to preach to thousands. Now I want to send the thousands to reach the one. That's what I'm thinking. This, here's the principle. It's time to invite people in from the cold. And as the people of God, those who've been changed by the gospel, as we go into work, as we go into our family and into our streets, why not invite somebody in? I mean, why not invite them in for a meal or take them for a coffee? Why not invest time one-to-one? Each person matters. But if a church was mobilized, not afraid to speak, not, a, not afraid of what this might mean, where this might head, but, but passionate about the gospel, going and inviting and engaging, then I wonder how many will come in from the cold this year. Anybody want a tub of Bisto? No, I mean, seriously, I'd like to give it to somebody. Who would like it? Who uses Bisto? There you go. You're hungry. There you go. Um, it's, a, it's a visual aid. That, that's all. But why not this week buy, buy one uh, thing, tub of Bisto, but you can only use it for one purpose. It's when you've invited somebody in. Now, I, I know it can be coffee. I know it can be lunch with a work colleague. All I'm saying is this. I believe God is wanting to impact our towns, our streets, our families. It's not about the big field preacher. It's not about the guy at the front on church only. I think God is saying by the Spirit, I want to do something fantastic. And I want to do something great. But now's the time not to be silent, but to be a people filled with the Spirit, passionate about the gospel, and courageously saying, would you have a coffee with me? Would you come and have a meal? And taking that time of investing and building friendships that can really make a difference. We, we've done Lead Academy, you know, the, 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 uh, as, as a group of Light and Life churches. And one of the things that they said in one of the sessions is that sometimes we're in danger of remaining silent for the fear of getting a no. And we may get no's. But you know what? To invite somebody to take an interest in their life, to invite them for a coffee or a meal, and to build that friendship in the context of at some point as God opens up that opportunity of talking about your life story or the difference Jesus is making. You know, if you have to have a few no's before you get a yes, they were saying it's okay. Now is not the time to remain silent. What if the crowd stayed silent? What if there was no voice? It's all those stories that would never, ever happen. I think of Barnabas and he didn't let fear silence him. He joined what God was doing by the Spirit, and he invites Saul in. Now, I know Saul had become a Christian, but you understand the context. That bigger sweep of God taking somebody from no faith to being welcomed into a vital part of the family. That's scene one. Don't let fear silence you. It's time to invite people in from the cold. If my wife was stood here, she would say, Michael, I'm not you. I, I've not got your personality. I, I find that really hard. I think I'm going to... This is Leslie. She said, I think the only way I could do that, because I kind of can't just go to somebody at the school gate. That kind of one-time thing, I, it, it doesn't work. I think I'm going to have to join some kind of club or some kind of activity where I'm constantly and regularly meeting people, and it'll take me a a couple of months just to feel at ease with talking to them and, and then maybe I could do the coffee and, and maybe some of us are like that. So listen, this is not, it's not seeing who finishes the race first. It's about simply saying, actually, I want to be part of what God is doing of inviting people in from the cold. So uh, that's the first. Second scene. 
It's time to invite people to go deeper in grace. It's time to invite and to be a a way of speaking now to the church, the family of God. Guys, let's go deeper. We're so thankful with what he's done, but let's go deeper. Uh, Let's encourage one another to go deeper in this grace of God. That's, That's what I'm saying. We need to speak up to one another in the family to encourage each other. So what's happening? It's the second scene, Acts chapter 11. What's going on? Well, in one word, you'd have to say revival, or a few more words, just an incredible move of God. Something extraordinary is happening in Antioch. Christians scattered from Jerusalem with the persecution have arrived there, and they start telling people about Jesus. And and, and they weren't just people from a Jewish background. These were people from a Gentile background, and lots of them, lots of them were coming to faith in Jesus. And the church is starting to explode in Antioch. That's what's happening. There's such a great move of God there. And, and ultimately, the, the, the city has some challenges, so we're not going to make the whole thing rosy. There's going to be a theological question that is going to explode. I mean, they didn't expect Gentiles to be coming to faith, so they were kind of thinking God would do something great through the people of Israel and, and that people could join in, people could become part of that, but they were going to need to get circumcised and, and do other kinds of rituals to be part of what God was doing. And, and there was going to be a theological explosion on all of that by the time it gets to Acts 15. There's a, there's a, there's a theological question that's, that's going to explode and it's waiting to happen. The city itself was a, was like the New York of its day. It's, it's multi-ethnic. It's uh, half a million people 2,000 years ago living in Antioch. There's certain pagan idolatry going on there. It, it's an incredible city uh, full of all kinds of stuff. But the church is powerfully exploding with growth. But in the face of, of, of a morally desperate city and in the face of a theological question that could explode at any moment, uh, who do we send? So we're going to send Barnabas, because he's a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. So let's send him. And, and when, when Barnabas gets to Antioch, and he sees the evidence of the grace of God, he sees God's doing something in the city, he's glad, and he encourages them. He sees evidence of God's grace, He sees real life stuff of the heart of God in the life of the church. And and this God who who loves to make much of Jesus and pour out the Holy Spirit. Loads of great stuff is happening. He's glad. And he, he says, guys, keep going. Don't settle down. Don't, don't see this revival thing, this incredible move of God. Uh, for even those who maybe have been involved in that significantly, don't make this an opportunity to write your life story or your how-to-do revival book. He, he, he's saying, guys, this is fantastic. I'm so glad. But keep going. Remain true to God. Don't stop. Remain true. Don't give up. It's going to be Barnabas's life message. Keep going. Endure. Continue in the grace of God. Don't give up. You see, it's time to invite people, always time, to say to the church, isn't he great? Hasn't he done some wonderful stuff? Let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. Let's remain true to God. Let's discover what that is. So we're not told what the evidence was that he saw. I think it could be genuine life change as people have come to faith. I mean, they cannot... These people 
in, in, in Antioch just simply cannot help but worship God. Something's happened to them. I, um, I need you to imagine my grandmother, which you cannot possibly imagine, uh, but I need you to imagine a, a very typical uh, British stiff upper lip grandmother. I need you to imagine somebody like that. That was, that was my grand. Nothing moved her. Uh, I could tell you loads of family stories about her character and her personality, but you get the picture. She was just very proper, pinky up, bitty, everything like that. And she was just very British, very stiff upper lip. She never came to Christ until the twilight years. I mean, literally the last two years of her life. And uh, it was actually in a dream. Uh, she had a dream. And in this dream, she encountered Jesus. And uh, she was telling me, now an old lady, she was telling me her dream. She was telling me her experience. And I knew there was something incredibly genuine because of how she described it to me. This, all I'd known the whole of my life, this British, stiff, upper lip, nice, but that's who she was, grandmother of mine. And she said to me, she said, when I met him, And I heard him and I knew who he was and what he'd done for me. She said, I couldn't help but fall prostrate before him and worship him. I'd never heard anything like that from my gran the whole of my life. And I'm wondering whether Barnabas, when he gets into Antioch, he cannot help but see evidence of the grace of God. People's lives so wonderfully transformed. They can't do anything other than worship the God who'd saved them. I wonder if that's what he saw. I wonder if he actually saw a great hunger in the hearts of the church, a great passion to know God, to hear him speak to them through the word and for them to speak to him in prayer. I wonder if he saw an appetite. I wonder if he saw an appetite for the word of God, to hear God and to speak with him. I wonder if that is what he saw. I wonder if he saw a generosity that now was crossing the multicultural, multi-social and economic boundaries that were in the city. I wonder if he began to see all kinds of boundaries being crossed as hearts were transformed with the love of Jesus. I wonder if that's what he saw. I wonder if he saw miraculous gifts of healing and other gifts of the Spirit. I think it was probably all of these kinds of things, the evidence of the grace of God. But I also believe in the midst of it all, it wasn't all perfect. I still think he saw possible evidences of pride and envy and resistance to God and reminders, well, God's begun something great, but he's not finished with us yet. And so he says, guys, you're doing my heart good. You're doing my heart glad, but remain true to the Lord with all your heart and for the whole of your life. Let's go deeper. Let's go deeper in grace. Let's bow our hearts again and again to be a community that says, Jesus, I'm so thankful for all that you've done. I'm so thankful for the family that you've brought me into, but I want to speak up. I want to be part of a family that encourages one another to keep on going deeper with grace. I love the fact that Barnabas, seeing all the evidence of grace, probably seeing some of the challenges and God's not finished with them yet, actually goes and gets Paul. 
and says, Paul, come on. And he invites him in again. And he invites Paul to speak it. And they stay for a year. And Paul and Barnabas are teaching and encouraging and building the church. They're speaking up life-changing, life-deepening, grace-shaping truth for a whole year. And a fantastic church is strengthened and grows. It's going to be the church that is the sending church of, of these early apostolic missionary journeys. They're going to send Paul and Barnabas from this church into their church planting work through the rest of Asia and into the continent of Europe. Let's go deeper. It's time to invite people to go deeper in grace. It's time to speak up. Let's remain true to God with all our heart. Let's discover what that means. Let's hear what it means from his word. Let's, Let's not be envious of one another's gifts, but let's give a platform and space for those different gifts of other people to strengthen the body. But together, let's go deeper in grace. I believe God not only wants to invite people in from the cold to a vibrant, loving family and community, but he wants that community to keep on going deeper in grace. So it's time to speak up. Barnabas was a great leader maker in the life of Saul. He was a great disciple shaper in the context of the church. Because he lived and spoke life-changing truth and life-changing hope. The third and final scene in Barnabas' life is Acts 15. I'm only going to just mention it briefly, but here's what I think it is. If the first is, don't let fear silence you, it's time to invite people in from the cold. If the second is, don't let success cause you to settle, but keep on inviting one another to go deeper in grace. The third is this. Don't let others' mistakes that have impacted and caused pain to your life silence you. It's time to speak up forgiveness and life-changing hope. You can begin again. You see, John Mark had abandoned a missions trip, and Paul didn't want to take him on this next journey. Barnabas speaks up and says, listen, Paul, past failures shouldn't forever cast a shadow over John Mark's life. Let's take him. And Paul says, no. And they had such a sharp disagreement, they part company. And and Paul takes Silas and they go on another mission journey. But Barnabas it is who, who takes John Mark. I'm not saying, hold on, who was right and who was wrong? You know, I'm not commenting on that. What this does is it highlights that sins and failures and mistakes that we make and the pains that they impact in others' lives, they do have a consequence. I can't make it light. I can't say that that doesn't happen. That mistakes that we make that impact our families or our workplaces or wider family or life in church, I am not saying that painful mistakes don't have consequences because they do. And I don't think Barnabas ignores that reality. I don't think he's sweeping stuff under the carpet. But at least what I see in Barnabas is when there is this evidence, and, and, the, and I believe he knew John Mark, when he sees this evidence of a guy who, yes, I've messed up, yes, I've caused pain. Uh, but I think Barnabas comes and sees this evidence that he was a guy who was genuinely wanting to move on from his past and find new hope. It is Barnabas who speaks up. And I think in that whole relationship and dialogue with John Mark, Barnabas is not naive 
with the consequences and the failures and the pain of sin and broken choices. But, but Barnabas is rooted deep in applying the truth of the cross when he sees a heart that is sensitive and wants to change and grow and, and is struggling to get up again. It is Barnabas who speaks up and, and it's Barnabas who speaks life and it's Barnabas who speaks, at, at least in this story, at this scene in Acts chapter 15, he speaks life-changing hope through the cross. He doesn't minimize sin, it's through the cross. Christ died for our sin. And, 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 and not just this sense of God in Christ dies for our sins so that he can wipe the slate clean and so I can sin again and he can wipe the slate clean and so I can sin again and he can wipe the slate clean. No, we need to be more rigorous with the reality of sin than that. And we need to allow the cross in its fullness to impact our lives more deeply than that. Christ died, yes, for the forgiveness of our sins, to wipe the slates clean so I can have a new beginning. But he died to, to deal with my sin on the inside out. He, he died to give me a new heart and a new passion and a new holiness and a new love for God. And I need him still. I still need this one to, to forgive me for my sins, but through the presence of the Holy Spirit, make me a, a new man on the inside out. And we need to speak up to one another forgiveness. Life-changing hope and life in the Spirit. You can live. You can live with a new purpose. The mistakes and the failures and the pains of the past do not have to cast a shadow over the whole of your life. And Barnabas speaks the gospel. He speaks life. He speaks hope. We capture something, I believe, of the heart of God this morning. He wants us to know Him more and more. He wants us to encounter his life-changing presence. He, he has the heart of a father who loves to bring children, as it were, in from the cold. He loves for them to grow deeper in experiencing his life-changing grace. He loves to speak deep, life-changing hope to those who feel their past failures and mistakes are still casting a shadow. And can I ever dare to begin again? He doesn't minimize our sins and failures. But in all of these things, he brings us to the cross. Because it's through the cross hearts and lives are invited in. It's through the cross and through what he's done by the Spirit that lives go deeper. And it's through the ongoing work of this same message of what Christ has done for us and life in the Spirit that speaks to you and I as often as we need it. Hope. It's time to get up. It's time to speak out. It's time to move deeper and past the pains and past the mistakes. I am not minimizing them. There may still be consequences, but it doesn't stop you from standing up and speaking out hope and life and forgiveness and the power of the gospel. It's time not to be silent, but in the power of the Spirit to speak out life, deeper grace, and life-changing hope.